PressBox Transition. I don't know how many men are out there now that have had a massage that perhaps occasionally there was a happy ending. All right? Maybe there's nobody in your listening audience that that ever happened to. I do want to point out, if it has happened, it's not a crime. Well, that was a hell of a rejoin. Yeah. Pooch is in today for Ed Graney. Um, before <laughs> b- before we get to some, some more football here, um, Draymond Green was criticizing Kendrick Perkins for having hot takes. Is that is that what I heard there? He called him a slur. <laughs> he yeah. went... Yeah, but like he he was basically saying Kendrick Perkins played basketball, so Kendrick Perkins shouldn't have to give hot takes to be a media member. Meanwhile, Draymond Green hosts a podcast after every NBA Finals game and is out here giving us hot takes about Kendrick Perkins. Draymond Green is exactly what he's criticizing Kendrick Perkins of doing while Draymond Green is still playing the game of basketball. Draymond Green. I don't understand. He's a marketing wizard. We're talking about him right now because he knows two very skinny white dudes are going to talk about (laughs) these guys throwing racial slurs at one another, you know, and then we're going to have to maneuver around it. But Draymond is Draymond (laughs) is going to be Kendrick Perkins in like seven years when he's done playing basketball. He's going to gonna be in the media he's already doing a podcast he's gonna be in the media and he's gonna be doing exactly what Kendrick Perkins is I think Draymond Green's gonna be the next like who's that Pat McAfee where it's like he starts up his own podcast and he gets his own sponsors and I think that's what he's doing he's trying to be his own boss and trying to yeah be just trying to be his own entity he gives hot takes I know like Draymond Green is basically criticizing what he's going. He's basically telling us not to listen to him in seven years or whenever this, whenever he's done playing basketball or right now, because he's doing a podcast right now. That's what he's telling us. It's like, no, you've got to embrace what Kendrick Perkins is. Cause that's what you're going to be in seven years. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that too, Draymond calling him racial slurs. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, what is he saying that would lead you to, to bring out that kind of hate Dre? Seriously? All right, here's some football for you. Uh, your favorite quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Oh, he's uh, we've had a couple of reports over the last few days that the Seahawks are close to trading for Baker Mayfield, but nothing has actually happened yet. Um, do you think he gets traded to the Seattle Seahawks? I. It's either them or the Panthers. Or Those nobody. Are the, or nobody, but yeah, I, 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 the Browns will trade him for sure. They will trade him for sure. They will get at least a sixth or a seventh round draft pick and eat a lot of that salary. They will get rid of him for sure. Well, let, let me ask you this, Browns fan. What They trade Baker Mayfield. What like round pick do they get back and you think, oh, good job? If they get a third round pick for Baker Mayfield after all the crap, after all after him coming back from injury and the crazy salary, that who knows how much of that they're going to have to eat. I would be flabbergasted. I don't see it happening, but that would leave me going, "Whoa." Like there's even talks about uh, <laughs> getting DK Metcalf in the trade. And I'm like, uh, let's take it easy. <laughs> like again, <laughs> these are these are like these are Browns fans that are just wishful thinking again, thinking that it's Madden and it's that easy to make trades. And it's no, it's not. So okay, let me ask you this on the Baker Mayfield side. He is playing going into the final year of his rookie contract. He does not have a second 
contract sign, which is obviously what he is going to want. He's going to want that second deal. He played hurt last year, was not very good. Part of the reason why the Browns are moving on from him also because they thought, hey, Deshaun Watson's really good at this sport. But Baker Mayfield, let's say he goes to Seattle, plays with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as, as his wide receivers. They don't have much of an offensive line, though. Like, can you foresee Baker Mayfield kind of turning his career around, having a good year in Seattle and getting that second contract to be a starter somewhere else in the NFL? Or do you think going to Seattle would just be, hey, he's not, it would prove he's not good enough to be a starter in the NFL? I think anybody who goes to Seattle is going to have a hard time. You have to be through the roof talented. You have to be a Russell Wilson to at least succeed with that offensive line. Baker Mayfield needs a running game. He needs play action. He's very good at play action. He's one of the top quarterbacks when it comes to play action. He knows how to get away with that. But when it comes to him just dropping back underneath center, like he's got to either be in the shotgun because if he goes under center, there's going to be a problem. And every NFL defense already knows this about him. They already say that he has happy feet. So you have to have a running game. And right now the Seattle Seahawks do not have that. So on the Brown side of this, is Jacoby Brissett any good? I believe Jacoby Brissett can win games only because the Browns, on the other hand, have a very good offensive line. They have the best running back tandem in football, and you can do enough play action, and that's basically what the Browns' offense is. It's it's kind of a, a deviation of the Shanahan offense where it's just run, play action, and and just defense. To just, and the defense is stacked, so... I think Jacoby Brissett can win many games. Just like I said earlier in the in this in this uh, in this show, I believe that Jacoby Brissett can get the Browns to the playoffs. They are the what best team in the AFC North? Are they better than the Steelers? They are better than the Steelers with with Brissett. Assuming Brissett plays all yes with games. Brissett, they are definitely better than the Steelers. But the are Bengals, they, no. Are they better than the Bengals or the Ravens? It's tough with the Ravens because we keep seeing Lamar Jackson start to look human you know he's starting to get injured a little bit more and now he's telegraphing like the plays like when he's going to pass and stuff like that there's there's things that he is starting to to do that is kind of showing the like he's devolving a little bit it just seems like the defenses are playing him differently and although he'll have like a giant game I do think that his physical style of play is starting to catch up with him. So I don't think the Ravens are going to be that much better than the Browns, but I do think they are going to be a little bit better. So right now the Browns, which Jacoby Brissett are the third, third best team, I would say in the AFC North. And that is a loaded conference though. So, and and I think that's the, the problem here is if you told me this Browns team with Jacoby Brissett was in the NFC, I'd be like, yeah, they're, they're probably a playoff team or they're going to be, they got a really good shot, but the AFC this year, if you go through the conference, the AFC East has three teams that think they should make the playoffs, the bills, the Patriots, and now the dolphins with Tyreek Hill, the AFC North has three teams that think they should make the playoffs, the Bengals, the Ravens, and now the Browns Hell, the Steelers honestly probably think they should make it too, but they're the fourth best team in that division. The AFC South kind of sucks, but you do have the Colts, Uh, who should be better with Matt Ryan and the Titans who have been good despite not doing anything in the postseason, still been a good regular season team. And then you have the AFC West where all four teams in the AFC West expect to make the postseason. I just think there are too many good AFC teams 
for the Browns to make the postseason with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback because it's going to be like we're going to be going into the last three weeks of the season and there are going to be like five teams for the last two spots that are all like tied or something ridiculous like that. And the Browns might be one of them, but it's just going to be so close. There's so many good teams that everything's going to have to go right for the Browns to actually make it with Jacoby Brissett this season. You are right. When it comes to the Browns defense, they are, I can't stress this enough. They are loaded. Grant Delpit is very good. Denzel Ward just signed a giant contract. Greg Newsom played very well as a rookie last year as a cornerback. Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa was one of the top... Whoa, I, look at that. Look at me, buddy. Wow. Rookie I don't co- even know if it's right, but you said it with <laughs> confidence. But, Jeez. Well, he was a rookie linebacker last year out of Notre Dame, and he was one of the highest graded linebackers in all of football, and he's coming back next year. So I do think the Browns defense is going to be very well. Their their run game is going to complement that defense. I just don't think Jacoby has to do too much. And again, how many interceptions did Baker Mayfield throw last year? Jacoby Brissett is not going to do that. All right. I have a question for you. Uh, this is from a morning show host on 98.1. Uh, I don't know what city they're in, but it's from Kerry Murdoch. He said, I asked Baker Mayfield. If there was any chance for a reconciliation with the Browns, if they if they were without their quarterback this season, he said the Browns would have to reach out to start that process. Mayfield said he has moved on. Do you think the Browns would reach out to Baker Mayfield and say, hey, man, you want to come play some football? We don't have Deshaun Watson for a year. Uh, no, I don't think they're going to do that. I think when you saw... The proof was in the pudding with Baker Mayfield when he couldn't connect with Odell Beckham Jr. And then after two weeks of playing with Matt Stafford, all of a sudden, you know, Beckham's got seven touchdowns in, what, seven games, eight games? It was crazy. The way his career took off when he finally got a quarterback that knew how to utilize him was insane. And the fact that Baker Mayfield was absolutely horrible while targeting Odell it kind of says a lot. And Jarvis Landry, when he used to talk about Baker Mayfield, oh, put it right there on the numbers. He's so accurate. He's so good. Towards the end, he didn't really have anything nice to say about Baker. And how many team, how many players actually came out and spoke highly of Baker during all of this nonsense? More players came out and spoke highly of Odell when he got released from the Browns than Baker. I look forward to Baker Mayfield starting for the Browns in week one. It'll be wild. And look, I wouldn't be too upset. I wouldn't be too upset. I when before he got injured, he was the he had the highest he had like eighty percent completion percentage. He was killing it that season, and then he got hurt, and then everything just went off the rails. Would you rather have Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett for this season? I'd rather if I had to pick, I'd take Baker Mayfield over Jacoby yeah. Brissett. Yeah, and I mean, I I would too. I, I think that's the the obvious choice. Or not, a healthy not Baker obvious, Mayfield but, with both right, labrums I, intact. <laughs> right, and I think that that might be the key part. There is, yeah, he's should sh- he should be much better if he's just simply healthy and not trying to play through however many injuries he had last season. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. When it comes to luxury, no. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude, I'm not going to cave in. End of story, dude. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude, 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 dude. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude. Bischoff's Briefs. I guess you've got a point there. 
Ryan Wallace is going to join us in about 10 minutes. In about 25 minutes, we've got tickets to give away to go out to the NBA Summer League. So stay tuned for that. But Bischoff's briefs today, we're talking about the Oakland A's and if they're going to actually move to Las Vegas or not. The Review Journal had a story yesterday. An anonymous source told Nick Akers that Major League Baseball will not charge the Oakland A's a relocation fee if they move to Las Vegas. Now, this is fascinating because pretty much in all of our sports now, it's become common practice. If there is relocation or expansion, there is a big payday to the rest of that league. When the Raiders came to Las Vegas, their relocation fee was $378 million. When the Golden Knights were an expansion team and joined the NHL, their expansion fee was $500 million. If you are going to join a league, you got to pay to that league to join it. If you're going to relocate, you have to pay your league to move to a different city. That has become common practice. And all of that money, by the way, goes to the other owners, which is important, and that's what we will get back to. So if Major League Baseball actually dropped the relocation fee for the A's to move to Vegas, it would make Las Vegas much easier for the A's. That would make coming here much more likely because it would save the A's hundreds of millions of dollars, right? I mean, the Raiders paid 378 If they have to pay $300 million, and it could be more, they Baseball can basically set whatever price they want, but go with $300 million, save the A's $300 million. And if you're the A's and all of a sudden a move to Vegas of $300 million less than you were expecting, you're more likely to actually do it. So it's potentially good news for anyone that wants the A's in Las Vegas. But I don't believe it. And the reasoning here is that all this money goes back to the other owners. And why? Would the other 29 owners in Major League Baseball say no to a $300 million relocation fee that they they would all split, right? You think that other owners are just going to say no thank you to what would be $10 million or more? Why would they do that? The other owners, do they really care if the A's get a new ballpark or not? Hell, they should probably want the A's to stay in the Krabby Coliseum because it makes the A's look worse than you. I just can't envision other owners willingly passing on $10 million just to help out the A's. There's no logic behind that. It makes no sense. Plus, we just had a story in the New York Post where other owners were complaining about the A's not spending money. There's revenue sharing in Major League Baseball where the teams that make the most money give some back to the teams that make the least amount of money. The whole point of that is that teams will use that money on their players to try to create a better team. The A's got $9 million in revenue sharing last year. They're going to get $20 million after this season. And what did the A's do this offseason? They cut payroll. They spent less money on players this year than last year despite getting a free $9 million from teams that made more money. And the New York Post had this quote from an anonymous owner. The idea of revenue sharing is not to make money, it's to field a competitive team. That money is supposed to go toward player salaries. The A's took that money and put it in their pocket. You think the other owners that are mad the A's took their revenue sharing money and pocketed it 
are now going to give the A's a break and say, no, thank you. We don't need a relocation fee. That is unbelievably illogical. And so, if it's so illogical, why would that be a story? Why would somebody say that? Why would this be a story anywhere? And we go back to the same type of story that every single A's to Las Vegas story is, leverage. The Oakland A's want the city of Oakland to give them as much money as possible to build a new ballpark. So they went out and found another city, that's us, Las Vegas, and have been dangling Las Vegas in front of Oakland as much as possible. That way, they can say to Oakland, well, if you don't give us what we want, we're going to go to Las Vegas. And they hope that Oakland sees that as a threat and gives them as much money as possible. And here's the other key detail. Every single time there is a story about the A's in Las Vegas, about relocation fees or stadium sites, every single time it is right before a meeting in Oakland. And you're not going to believe this. At the end of this week, there's a meeting in Oakland about the Oakland A's stadium site. So what did the Oakland A's do? They told the Review Journal, hey, Major League Baseball is going to waive this relocation fee. We might be coming to Vegas for cheaper than we thought. It is all leverage. The entire situation with Las Vegas is the A's trying to make Oakland give them more money. And the newest trick is, hey, we won't have to pay an expansion fee when it makes no sense that 29 other owners would say, yep, here you go, Oakland A's. You don't have to give us money. We don't want that $300 million. See, what I heard was these owners were giving up the relocation fee, which would be, like you said, maybe they would be giving up about $10 million each. So the owners will be giving up about $10 million each just to avoid going to Oakland ever again. (laughs) They don't have to go. The owners don't have to go to these places. But now they really don't have to go. But also, now they get to go to Las Vegas a couple times a year if they want to, and it's a business expense. Yes. Think about the write-offs. Tyler, We were at the Spearmint Rhino for lunch. Please. still do that. They can come to Vegas when their team plays at Oakland already. But they can do it with the players. (laughs) The owners don't hang out with the players. What do you think this is? Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. I don't I don't know how they hang out. I mean, Vince McMahon, go ahead and talk to... There's an old wrestler here in town. You might go by the name The Godfather and Papa Shango. Uh, but uh, but he'll tell you all the times that he did uh, certain things with Vince McMahon. I mean, he was the owner of the place. I can't, you know, they can't, that can't happen in Oakland. No, the owners are not hanging yes. out with the players on road trips. That is not happening. We don't the know owners, that. They are not. Listen, <laughs> the, the St. Louis Cardinals are not flying into Las Vegas to play the Las Vegas A's, and the owner is going out to Dre's with half of the team. That is not happening. Well, then the owner needs to reevaluate yeah, his why life. Even own a yeah, why even team? own a baseball team? Think about all the because... attention you're going to get from the women at Dre's because you're out with baseball players. Hey, who's who's the crip keeper over in the corner? <laughs> oh, that's the owner. He's oh, worth that's the a guy billion. I should, that's the guy I should be talking to. Because when the Cardinals go to Oakland, the owner doesn't go. He just comes here and goes to Dre's anyway. Okay, there you <laughs> yeah, go. Right. Good point. That's hey, fine. Hey, he put, my, put my team here. on. Yeah. Right. He doesn't need the team here for it to happen. The, it, the entire part of Las Vegas has been to dangle it in front of Oakland and say, look at what we could do. Give us everything you have. And the key detail is that every time 
every single time there is some sort of news on the A's coming to Vegas, it is right before a meeting or something like that in Oakland. It's it, there's no way they would re waive a relocation fee. It would not have the 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 Raiders had no money. They 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 were broke. Mark Davis had no money, and they still made him pay a relocation fee. He had to take out a loan to pay the relocation fee to come here. And they still made him pay that. There's no way owners that are already mad the A's aren't spending money on players are going to then let just say, ah, $300 million, you keep that. You keep that, John Fisher. We don't need any of your money. You're fine. You do as much as you want. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. But we're going to keep getting the stories until the A's actually have their ballpark in Oakland, which is going to take forever. I don't know why, but it takes them like 74 years to figure out what they're going to do here. So we're going to keep getting these stories, and the A's are going to keep finding new ways. Like, here's the other the other fun part about this, Gooch. We have been going on like six months now of the A's saying, well, we're going to we're gonna release some stadium sites soon. We're going we're gonna to put out some rendering soon of a stadium. But they haven't done it yet because they're not going to do that until there's a big meeting. And when there's a big meeting in Oakland, they're going to be like, ooh, we got renderings of a stadium on the Strip in Las Vegas. Aren't you scared now? So don't worry. That's going to happen whenever they've got a big meeting for it, Oakland. It does kind of sound like all the other owners, though, are trying to do whatever they can to get the team out of Oakland and into Vegas because maybe there's more money for the whole league to soak no, in if you got a team. Close. Is that how it works? I'm not 100% how it works. No. Oakland is a significantly bigger media market. There would not be more money. Not even close. Here's, they would, the A's in Major League Baseball would be 100% better off if they got a new stadium built in Oakland than they would be if they got one built here. I mean, and they, it's, not, it's not even remotely close. Now, okay. if, they can't, if they can't get a stadium built in Oakland, then maybe Las Vegas would be better. But if they can get a stadium built in Oakland, they are, that is where they're staying, and that is where they will make the most money. They, I mean, the hidden third option is just pull a Golden State Warriors and just move across the bay to the right. area that yeah. isn't a bleep hole. Yeah. Right. That's that's what they, they shouldn't be talking about Vegas. They should be talking well, to San Francisco. Yeah, like, San Francisco hey, moved to Santa. Where, where did they move? They're Santa not, Clara. Yeah, Santa Clara. Yeah. That's not even in San Francisco. Right. And they're still they calling should, themselves San Francisco. They should just be threatening to move out of Oakland to one of the other 74 cities in that area. I, that would be better. Bakersfield Athletics. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Let's <laughs> <laughs> dusty. It's a dusty <laughs> ballpark. You can still be called Oakland. Can we get right. can we get them to throw in the Oakland Roots SC? We have a USL team that's they've won three in a row, Jared. I'm not taking this slander. Get out of here. Ryan Wallace joins the show next. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan Hockey Guy. I'm out. Ryan! Good morning, Ryan. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. You're going you're gonna to get some questions from Gooch today. I almost feel like I should just let Gooch ask you all the questions and see where he goes. Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's go. Gooch, okay. you got any questions about yeah. the Golden Knights? Why? why? Okay. Why do the Knights have to have a new coach like every year? Why, why is that? Uh, well, I mean, the, the simplest answer is they want to win the Stanley Cup uh, in six years, and we're going into year six. So um, if you believe that the person you have behind the bench isn't going to be the guy that gets that done, and you want to make that decision, you, you've got to make that decision. I, I think it's more about chasing the cup. It's more about wanting to find a way 
to get over the hump and for a team that went to the Stanley Cup final in year number one, even though they'd made the playoffs, even though they'd made conference finals, it's still not going as far as you did year one. So it feels like a disappointment to me. It's swift decision-making. It's trying to find the winning combination because there's real pressure on this team to win and win soon. Did you, what, what else you got, Gooch? Was there a point at all any that you saw Pete DeBoer's days were numbered? Like I'm talking about in the regular season. Was there any point? Did you hear any kind of rustling going on? Was there any kind of complaining going on behind the scenes that pretty much let us all know that Pete was on his way out? No, I mean, it, it's weird, right? Like I, I kind of thought, given the amount of time at the end of the season, that Pete would be around, that he would be able to, to come back with a fresh team, a uh, hopefully a healthy team next season to try to finish the job. But uh, to be honest with you, like the, the fact that they were the, the, during the regular season, there was a one point in time where I felt like, okay, we might be inching closer to a change. Not, not at the end of the season, but in season was that, that road trip back East where the golden Knights went over five. You, you lost to teams like Buffalo. You lost to teams like Philadelphia. It just felt like at that moment, it wasn't going to be, the type of season or it wasn't going to end the way that the Golden Knights wanted it to. At that moment, I felt like something could happen, but when it didn't, I didn't think it was going to. The trade that brought Jack Eichel. We saw him kind of working his, himself back into the game, getting back into game shape, and it was obvious that he, from somebody like a hockey novice, I'm not like you, Ryan, but it's like for, from, from even a hockey novice, you could tell that he was just different. He is built different. And he handled the puck different than anybody else on the on the squad. Towards the end, he was playing amazing. Is that trade looking better now that he's look that he's back with the team and maybe they could start building around him more? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't view that trade poorly. Uh, I mean, obviously, you you wanted to get to the playoffs. You wanted to have a chance to have Jack Eichel finally play in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in his career. It didn't work out that way, but you know, you're know you also talking about a player that hadn't played in nearly a year and a player that was coming back from a surgery on his neck that had never been done on a hockey player before. So all things considered, I think Jack did well in the time that he had with the Golden Knights last season. Now, that trade's ultimately going to be judged, I think, for the Golden Knights on whether or not they win a Stanley Cup with Jack Eichel on their roster. So you're talking about a player that's got five more years left, You've got to win at some point in time in that window. Otherwise, I don't think you view that trade the same way that you usually would when you get the best player. Make no mistake, the Golden Knights got the best player. However, the Buffalo Sabres with Alex Tuck, with Peyton Krebs, if they're a team that can turn the corner, if they're a team that can start to get relevant, if they can find their way into the playoffs, that's going to be enough for Sabres fans to feel like they won that trade. But ultimately for the Golden Knights, you feel good about this trade if and when the Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup, and, and that's really the reality of the situation. So let's go back to the coaching thing. So you got rid of Pete DeBoer. What mm-hmm. is Bruce Cassidy going to bring that Pete wasn't bringing? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I think both guys have kind of the same or a similar approach to, to what they want to do. Defense first, it's making sure you're responsible. It's very demanding in terms of what you're supposed to do on the ice. I think the big difference between Bruce Cassidy and Pete DeBoer uh, is twofold. One, Bruce Cassidy gets results on special teams. He is great when it comes to the power play, and he is really, really good when it comes to the penalty kill. You can make the argument that if the Golden Knights had an average power play and an average penalty kill last season, they're in the playoffs, and then from there, who knows? Um, 
And then the other aspect for me with, with Bruce is that there is going to be more, how do I put this, creativity in the offensive zone. You're going to allow some of your playmakers to go out and make plays. It's not just about hitting your marks. It's not just about running your routes. It's about having the freedom to do some different stuff in the offensive zone, not at the expense of defensive structure, but allowing players that are, are offensively talented to tap into those instincts every now and again in the offensive zone. It should create a little bit more offense for the Golden Knights. When Look do we you go, Gooch. What's Look up? You. I'm you just got going more? for I got, got one more. more. I got one okay. more. Okay. So when when the Bruins let go of Bruce Cassidy, which was nobody saw it coming, were the Knights like I can't believe this just happened. Were they just kind of like, ooh, come to daddy? Or was, that, was that how happy they were when, when, they, when they ended up securing him? You know, I, I seem to, like, I want to believe that it was, ooh, come to daddy. Like, that, that's really all I can imagine right now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, honestly, I don't know that, you know, I, I think Barry Trotz was certainly an option for the Golden Knights. Obviously, now Barry Trotz is not going to coach next season. He's going to take some time off to be with his family. But, I, I'm not convinced that you know the Golden Knights made the change. They were going to go through the options. They were going to see what was out there, try to interview as many people as as possible, and yet it kind of fell to them that the perfect choice in Bruce Cassidy was let go by the Boston Bruins. I think the minute Bruce Cassidy became available, that was option number one, number two, number three, and number four for the Golden Knights because it just made too much sense. It, it really was a situation where, they lucked into the perfect candidate. Who wins the Stanley Cup first? Gerard Gallant, Pete DeBoer, or the Golden Knights? Oh, man. Uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, it's not Gerard Gallant. And oh. like, as, much as, oh. I love, as, as much as I love Igor Shesterkin, and believe me, I do, um, like, I think the New York Rangers are bad. Like, I don't think they're a good <laughs> hockey team. Like, I think they've got really good skill, and I think they've got an elite goaltender, and they've got one of the better defensemen in the league in Adam Fox. But outside of that, they're kind of smoke and mirrors because of their goaltender, and I don't think Shesterkin's going to be able to get them back to a conference final, let alone out of maybe the first round of the playoffs, second round of the playoffs. So I don't think it's Jar Gallant. Um Pete DeBoer is interesting because I think that there's an argument to be made that Pete's first season with a hockey club is his best season with a hockey club. And traditionally, with the exception of the Golden Knights, in year one, he takes his team to a Stanley Cup final. So um, there's proof of concept there for Pete DeBoer. But again, I, I don't think the Dallas Stars are good. So there's that pesky little thing of not having a team that's built to win a Stanley Cup. Um <laughs> Vegas is the best team of the three, I would argue, even though I know the Rangers went to the conference final. Um, you know, I, I guess the homer in me is going to say that it's the Golden Knights, but really it's because I don't trust or believe in either Dallas or the New York Rangers. I was over here thinking, like, remember who pays your paychecks, Ryan? Say the right answer. <laughs> uh, do you believe Nick Haig gets offer sheeted? Um, I think that, man, it, you know, it, it, to me, the target for an offer sheet wouldn't be Nick Haig. It would be Nick Waugh. Like, it, just from, from a value perspective, like, listen, I think Nick Haig's going to turn into a really, really good defenseman, but I think that Nick Waugh's got kind of a little bit more that he can give you. You're talking about a player that can probably get into a middle six or top six on, on a different team. So, um, the 
to me, the most likely offer sheet candidate would be Nick Waugh. I, I don't think that that's going to happen because for whatever reason, GMs don't like to offer sheet players and put teams in binds of what they have to do um, in terms of matching a, a salary or letting the player go. So I think both guys make sense. I think neither guy gets offer sheeted. I just don't think it's going to happen. Ryan, have you ever bought something and then or won something and then someone that you work with or you immediately dented it? Um, no, but uh, I like there's no comparable that I can think of. At least nothing that needs as much as a Stanley Cup. So I like. I actually made the argument yesterday on the show that Nathan McKinnon, because he loves Sidney Crosby so much, is probably going to take a team-friendly discount on his next contract to keep everybody around from this Stanley Cup championship team, with the exception of Nick Obey-Kubel, who's the guy that dropped the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I think McKinnon's going to make sure Joe Sackick does not sign him, and whatever money Kubel was going to make, that's going to be added to Nathan McKinnon's team-friendly contract. So, like, if Obey-Kubel was going to make $800,000, Jason McKinnon's average annual value is going to be like $9.8 million a season. <laughs> That's good. I, I look forward to the, those negotiations saying, yep, keep everybody <laughs> around except that guy. He's got to be gone and give me all his money. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, he is Ryan Wallace. You can hear him on uh, Fox Sports Las Vegas on the VGK Insider Show. Ryan, wait, when are you guys off? Do we have to stop talking to you soon? Uh, it, it'll be soon. It won't be until after free agency. So I think okay. like July 13th, July 14th, okay. somewhere in that window. I'm not really sure, but we're going for another couple of weeks. It's going to be massive fun. Fantastic. Ryan Wallace, as always. Thanks, Ryan. All right, thanks, guys. All right. We got tickets to give away to go to NBA Summer League. Four pack of tickets for any day. All 30 teams are coming to Vegas. Up to eight games per day at the Thomas and Max Center, July 7th through the 17th. Tickets are available now at UNLBtickets.com, or you can win four from us right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number nine to get four tickets to go to the Summer League. You're locked in the press box. Gooch, you are right. People like fighting each other. By the way, congratulations to Landry. He won tickets to go to the Summer League. Um, which sport has the best fights? Has the best fights? Okay, well, yep. obviously you're not talking about contact sports like UFC. Well, yeah, not sports <laughs> yeah. where fighting yeah, yeah. is uh, the main yeah. objective. Boxing, mm, boxing. Yes, boxing. All right, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say boxing. Uh, I, I brought it up earlier. Like, do, Have you ever seen... Have you ever seen Shaq throw a punch? It's sad. Have you ever seen Bryce Harper throw a punch? It's sad. So anything that is not, it's hard to say what the best fights are. I would have to say when the NFL does it, like remember when Odell and what was it, Josh Josh Norman, they got into it. Odell, there was this thing he did. He basically did a Mortal Kombat move where he dove Oh, yeah, he launched himself. Horizontally and launched his head into Josh Norman's head. So you're going to see more creative moves. You might see a helmet come off. You might see somebody, like, grab a face mask and do a couple of uppercuts. Or you might see the dummy use close fist on a helmet. So I would say NFL. I, Tyler, it's... I, 
It's got to be baseball only if the dug or if yeah if the bullpen is super far away from the fight because my favorite thing ever is the group of guys who are like, okay, if we really want to get into this, we could run, or we could jog as a group and show up just as it's dissipating and yeah. like pull guys off. If I'm in the yep. baseball team and that's happening, I'm one of the guys. I'm keeping. I've got deer eyes where I'm just making sure that I got 360 vision. <laughs> making sure that nobody comes up and blindsides me. So the best part about baseball fights, and if you watch the Angels-Mariners brawl, there's like seven examples of this. It's when players from the other team are like holding back an opponent. Like they're, it's not even a guy on their team. They're just holding somebody back, trying to stop them from, I don't know, punching somebody else in the face. I enjoy that very much. The bullpen running in, yes, because they'd be bad teammates apparently if they didn't just make some effort to get out on the field. But the best part about the baseball, and in this one in particular, you get actual punches thrown. You get them in football sometimes, but as we've established, you often are punching the guy's helmet, which is just stupid. Like, that's the dumbest thing you can do if you're fighting is punch the guy in the helmet. There's no but other like, adjective. Yeah, but like basketball, you since the malice in the palace, like, what have we gotten? I, I, I guess we got this year Nikola Jokic and the Morris Twins. They shoved each other a little bit. That was kind of legitimate. We almost had the Serbian mafia coming out. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Morris twins. Like that kind of could have been. Yeah, we bad. saw Nico. We we saw Jokic make a face. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but like the malice in the palace was like actual. Like that, that was, was legit. the best. Ron Artest punch. Jermaine O'Neal knocked a guy out cold that came on the court. Like that was an actual fight. Since then, though, there's not a whole lot that happens. And the NBA best part. Fights. When Jermaine O'Neal knocked that, it was just some fat fan. Right. That's all it was. Just some guy going, come on, let's do it. And then Jermaine O'Neal's got like a 10-foot reach on the guy, and he just goes, it's like punching a baby. Is there anything dumber than being a fan and being like, you know what? Jermaine O'Neal, I'm taking him down. Well, when you're you're living in Detroit, that's your first mistake. So you're just looking to fight everybody. So it was probably a better day in Detroit to get punched by Jermaine O'Neal than just to live in Detroit. Honestly, the guy who got punched, that might have been his shining moment (laughs) in life. Remember the one time I got punched on national television? They got that hanging up over his over his fireplace right now. Yeah, he's got his own seat at a bar in Detroit where it's like, Yeah, remember that time, Jermaine O'Neal? That's me. Shake hands Uh, with the guy who who tasted Jermaine O'Neal's knuckles. So going back to the reason, one of the other things I forgot to mention that I, I love about baseball fights is every once in a while, and I think the last time it happened was Mark McGuire when he was a hitting coach for the Dodgers. Every once in a while, the managers go oh, like, yes. all right, we're fighting. Yes. And you oh, see yeah. the main manager going, no, we're not. I will oh, yeah. say the worst the worst punch I've ever seen in any sports brawl was when Rudy Tomjanovich got knocked out. Did you ever see that when he was – this is back when he played. Uh, I do not remember Somebody this, no. Google this and watch him get destroyed. And it is it's, – it's not even like a funny knockout. You're just like, oh, I think he's dead. Like, <laughs> and, and keep in mind, I saw this – punch like after I was born and he's already coaching NBA teams and I thought he was dead after that punch I know Rudy T is st- was still alive back then when I saw the video but I still swore he was dead after that punch 
Uh, Jared's point on the managers, I think, is is the best one because have you? We've never. I don't think have we seen uh, basketball coaches like go fight each other. We like, did I see. Don't think- we see Stan, Stan Van Gundy, not Stan <laughs> Jeff, Van, Jeff, Jeff Van, Van Gundy, Gundy hanging on his on, leg, holding on to one of his own players' legs. No, don't do uh, it. Yeah, he, I, I, he's got so many guys. He just grabs one guy's leg, like, and he's literally having again horizontally dragged across the floor. I know Patrick Waugh in hockey tried to fight an opposing coach and knocked over the glass boards between the benches, but he's the only one. Like, we've gotten some coaches yelling at people, but never physical. But, like, I mean, Scott Service, the Mariners manager, was in the middle of that entire... I mean, his whole jersey was untucked after it was over because he was in the middle of it. It's, for whatever reason, if there's, like, a a fight in basketball... Well, actually, they put in that rule where you can't leave the bench. All of the coaches try to keep the players from leaving the bench. In hockey, nobody leaves the bench. In football, the coaches don't do anything. But in baseball, the managers are the first ones on the field some of the times. I mean, Scott Service for the Mariners was like leading the charge across the diamond. I call that team building. Yeah. He was like, all right, I'm fighting for Jesse Winker today. Let's do it. Like. It's the only sport. I, maybe it's because they make them wear the uniform. You think that's what it is? Some teams go to movie nights. Other teams brawl with other squads to build camaraderie. What about the ones that play golf? 